Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casazza here on the open week during the football season, skipping the Q&A mailbag because, Chris Anderson, we have all the questions and none of the answers this week, which is probably not too different from the norm. But in the best way possible here, we are surprised by football. Typically, when we're surprised by football, it has to do with more negative things, coaching decisions, mistakes, defeat snatched from victory, so on and so forth. But whole different world right now. West Virginia, 4-1 and overall, 2-0 and in the Big 12, tied for first place. I mentioned this before. I've got like this little gadget I mess around with that kind of predicts point spreads for games. It just kind of values some stats and comparison points that I like that I think are important. I have West Virginia favored in five of the final seven games. Do I need to work on the formula or is this actually real? Hey, I'm going to take you to Vegas like Rain Man if, if you get that. Five out of seven, five of the last seven, a little 10 and 10 and three, 10 and two. No, wait. It was nine and three, but still pretty good. Yeah. See, this, this is why I need you. This is why I need you in your formula because I can't add four and four plus five. Yeah. So, and the yeah. one that's always close that I've been kind of like just messed with all year, and I think I mentioned this when I was talking about voting and all that stuff, is Baylor. I don't know what to do with Baylor. Like all these little values that I have don't really make sense. And then yesterday I was going over how they came back and won that game, and it that didn't make any sense either. It looked like, it looked like Baylor was at the point of like, what do we do with our head coach? And then all of a sudden they come back and they get a great win. Segway. West Virginia is the is the burner off, Chris, or is it too soon to say anything like that when it comes to the future of the head coaching position here? Still too soon. I mean, obviously, like mm. if things go south and go south fast, like are we going to be sitting here? You know, say West Virginia goes five and seven, things just completely collapse down the stretch. Even six and six, like Ari's like, hey man. This is a great start for one. I, I think it's it's still too soon, which maybe hey, maybe this is the time for me to bring in something that I, I told you I was going to ask you something. I was going to spring it on you. Okay. I wasn't expecting to do it this early, but here I am. I'm doing it right now. Okay. How different? I know it says four and one on the standings, four and one, two and oh in the conference. And last year through five games when West Virginia was setting up for a, uh, an open week heading into a Thursday game, they were two and three and 0 and two in the conference. How different are these teams really? How different is it? I think it's more of a, a reflection of the nature of college football because one could argue this year's team is two plays away from being two and three just like last year's team. And last year's team was absolutely two plays away from being four and one at this point. So are these two teams actually that much different? It's a great point. It's something I've been messing with on the side here, trying to figure out how I'm going to fill the gap in between games. Cause Brown did make a point that was really interesting after the Texas tech game that a lot of the players on defense who really struggled against the red Raiders last year were on the field and at the forefront in a win against the Red Raiders. And if you look around the field, that's true on offense too. You know, the offensive line 
the running backs. Um, receivers, obviously, a little bit different, but it's not like they're difference makers, period. So a lot of the same players, offense, defense, and presumably even special teams, I have my eye on that, and there's a lot of carryover there, too, of course. So I wonder what the percentage is. It's certainly not the same quantity of play. You know, For example, like your, your guys who were starters now maybe weren't starters last year but played, or they were on the sideline watching last year and they played now. So maybe they upgrade in some areas. I think that's one thing. Um, the point being is that like how much has changed? Are they just an older, more mature, more experienced team? Have they been through the mud and would much rather be on the bank? You know, I think that's probably a good point to be made about this team is that they, they did have some, some struggles, some hard times in the past and it's not fun. Let's do everything we can to avoid that. And when it comes to those tough stretches in practice or tough moments in a game or those do or die situations in a, in a game, a single snap or a single series, maybe they're just better at it. Or maybe they've learned from their mistakes, and when it comes to a situation where they got to make a call, they can instinctually or intentionally like reference how it went in the past. Let's not do that again. So some of it is like the coin just flipped the same, but ended on a different side this time. Example, um, Bryce Ford Wheaton drops the pass against Pitt, but Texas Tech drops the pass in the end zone against West Virginia. Not the same play, but like luck went the other way. And then even if you go to, you know, some of the TCU stuff or some of the Texas Tech stuff, like a lot of like quirky 50-50 heads, tails things have gone West Virginia's way. Like they're due for some good luck. We've talked about that a bunch before. That's coming through. So I think a lot of it is that they have a lot of the same players. Continuity is good. We've learned and grown. That's helpful. They're getting some breaks. That's good too. But also like this may lead to a point that I have. They're just a different team when it comes to their approach and how they play and what they're going to rely on. And I think that gets them through stuff. But I also think what they do is harder on opponents now than it was last year, offensively especially, but also defensively too. Honestly, to to be completely honest, I wasn't sure if I was trying to make the argument that this team was more of a two and three team or maybe last year's team was more of a four and one team than two and three team. It's a great point. It really is. Like if you people don't want to do that stuff last year and say, well, actually, they could have been better than their record. You know, they're they're a play here, a play here, a call here against, you know, one team or two teams are being, I don't know, bowl eligible, but it's not a stupid argument. Like you could do that. People don't want to grant credit to failures, especially when they're maybe hoping that things change in a more permanent way. But even in the moment now too, nobody wants to do the other thing and say, well, actually they could also be two and three. Nobody wants to do that because they enjoy the highs right now, especially when they've been down too. So it's a, it's a fun, if not frustrating exercise, but I do think it gives a perspective for the past and the present. Just hey, welcome to the world of college football. It, it, it's margins are thin in the world of sports and especially college football. And, and West Virginia is very familiar with that. Let me give you one. Spring on you. No jabs today, Chris. We're going right to haymakers. Okay. 18 to six, they lose the bowl game to Minnesota. Okay. Pretty, pretty bad year when you think about a way to end it, the way to play it, all that stuff. They make a change. They go and they get Graham Harrell. They go out and they get JT Daniels out of the portal. And all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, okay. Skill position guys, fast finesse offense. Let's pass it. Let's run air raid. Let's get this guy who set all these records at Texas Tech under Mike Leach. This is a bona fide Big 12 offense now. Got the coordinator, got the quarterback. Starts off really well. It gets difficult, and that does not go well. That's a totally different personality than what you see right now. 
They did not go to the portal for a quarterback. They did not go out and get a slice spread offensive coordinator. They did not try to be a bona fide Big 12 team. What they're doing right now, as I just mentioned, it, it's it's hard on opponents. I mean, it's it's really hard to to stop the run again and again and again. They they just squeeze life out of you on the play clock, which puts pressure into different situations when you have the ball because you might not have it very often or soon. This just seems like when it comes to a team that understands it's going to have to do it the hard way, doesn't seem to mind that. Again, it's early. Can they sustain this? I don't know. We can get into that. But to to take attacks out of the other team with the way you play, because it's different. It's not fun to prepare for. It's not fun to confront. It does put pressure on your defense, even though it's not like a speed offense. That's not a vertical offense, but handing it off and running and just relentlessly doing what West Virginia does. Results be damned. They're going to keep doing it. That's much more in tune with the way that they are wired as a program, maybe as a coach. It just seems like a personality that does fit. They've changed clothes. You know, they they had the very slick movie star style, so to speak, before. And now they're like the key grip. But it's working. How much of that, never mind style of play change, but that personality change, the wardrobe change, if you will. How much of that do you think explains maybe not the record, but also maybe the differences that we're talking about between last year and this year? I think it does change the attitude. Um, you know, we talked about in the post game about how West Virginia had some swagger. Like they they felt like, hey, we're gonna make this game against TCU ugly and we're gonna win. And they never seemed to doubt it, even after they fell behind 7-0 with like their offense looking terrible on the first drive and their defense looking terrible on the first drive. Um, so I do think it helps their attitude. I do think they kind of just embrace that. But it also gets me thinking about something that I know you've argued before and several people on our message board have as well, and, and maybe taking it a little to the extreme, you know, pushing the, hey, we should run the triple option wishbone offense. But I think you put it a little a little better, a little more moderately, if you will. Do something different. If if everyone else in the league is running like a pass happy spread option offense, they're going to be used to that. They're going to be accustomed to that. They're going to know how to defend that. And if you try to do the same thing, but you're trying to do it with lesser athletes, it's not going to work. Like it's not. So how about do something different? And I think that was an argument you made. It might have been last year, maybe even the year before that. And and that seems to be like what they're doing. Like, hey, let's try stop being something we're not. And we'll do this instead. And it's different. And people are going to have a hard time with it. Um, and we're just going to embrace it. Now, the drawback there, by the way, great recollection that I did make that point. Um, great point, too. But sometimes we forget about these things. We say so many things. But it's also not popular to be like, hey, wait a minute. How dare West Virginia zag? Because you look at, can can they be the team that looks at the way college football is going and say, actually, we're going to go another way? It takes a lot to do that, but they're doing those things that keep that style of flu. And it's not just like that. They're good at their offense because you can make the argument. They're really not that good at their offense, but let's just say personnel wise, they have a running quarterback, which that asks some questions and it gives defenses problems. It just does. So that helps. But even beyond that, you know, the, the calls of plays, the style of play, whether it's fast, whether it's just run inside zone, outside zone, but their turnovers really down. They should have a lot more turnovers on defense, but they get a lot of first downs. They are not good on third down, but they have a lot of time of possession, which means that they're getting first downs on first and second down, but they're also slow and deliberate the way they play. 
They typically get touchdowns when they're in the red zone. More exceptions to that lately, so maybe that's changing. They just do certain things that maybe they don't have the talent to, similar to like if they don't have the talent to run like a wide open four verts, air raid, crazy like circus style offense. Well, maybe they don't have the talent to just be effective doing a different thing, but you can piece together little intangible stuff around it, whether it's no penalties, whether it's not turning the ball over, being seven over three. And they're doing enough of those things right now that's making a difference. And on top of that, um, they've, they've played really, really good defense. That helps too. But the one thing that I think you have to go back, said this before through the years, kind of like the enduring quality of Brown's program is that they play really hard. And I wonder last year if it was, if it was hard to play hard the way they played, like, how how hard do you play to run like a mesh, you know, versus how hard do you play to ram it right through the defensive line um, three times in a drive, six times in a drive. And if you are playing hard on offense, you're making the team play hard on defense. And then conversely, like West Virginia runs a bunch of defensive linemen in. Typically, offenses don't run a bunch of offensive linemen in. But if West Virginia is running six, eight, nine defensive linemen in, they're playing hard. Well, that makes it really difficult on the other team's offensive line to play hard because you're fresh, they're not. So, like, I go back to some of the stuff that if you can read this, like what Sonny Dyke said about West Virginia, tough, physical team. They play hard. They play physical. Like, he saw it coming, and I don't think teams said that so much about West Virginia last year. And if you got ahead on West Virginia, you typically got far ahead on West Virginia, and that's not the case right now. And this just seems to align physically – personality what they want to do and i don't know just those comments by dykes last week were, were kind of telling me that this was getting back into what they wanted i don't know how great it's going to be long term um i don't know if they can keep all these intangible things going on their side it might just be a really good run right now but it might also be the run they have to continue it just does seem like it's working right now and do we say that starts with defense would you agree with like the, the personality and the way they've just changed their attitude starts with the defense this year. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the the linchpin, I think. And you can look at a couple stats, um, and and it just pops right away. Um, I'm working on the havoc rate as we as we speak. But if you look at, say, for instance, just getting pressure on the quarterback. Like, I mean, havoc rate is again is re- kind of related to pressure on the quarterback, but. Last year, West Virginia averaged about 13 pressures per game on the quarterback. That was meh, meh. Another 18 through five games. And I think people might look at that. That's only like five more, but five more pressures on the quarterback is a pretty drastic difference and really changes things up. It's, it's going to alter throws. It's going to create more interceptions. It's going to might create more sacks. It's going to create negative or zero plays, which can really – Again, it has like a cascading effect of if that's happening on first down, now all of a sudden it's second and 15, and then second and 15, they're only going to get a few, and now it's third and 10 instead of a first down or third and two. And so that defense seems to have a new mentality, and, and that mentality is more of a um, creating havoc and getting pressure on the quarterback than it was this past season. And, I mean, who knows what who knows what might happen if the – defense learns to actually catch a football with their hands because it's wild what they're doing differently from last year. 
I just mentioned the pressures up front. The pressures on the back end. West Virginia last year ranked 123rd out of 131 teams in passes defended. 123rd out of 131 teams. They're currently number six in the country hmm. in passes defended this season. They almost have as many passes defended through five games as they did all of last season. Like that's that's nuts. And again, you, when you get pressure up front and you're putting pressure on the back end, hey, good things happen. So you're really seeing a difference from that defense and the mentality they have on on all three levels, really. So the question we've had for weeks and weeks now, which the answer may be in the question, but we have repeatedly asked, okay, is this sustainable? I just I just don't think I have this scoring offense and be a winning football program. It's going to have to get better. But then we're also talking about this as an identifiable and here up to this point, successful style. And it just kind of is what they are. Like they're not engineered to play air raid, to play up tempo. They can pick their spots. They can, and they still run air raid stuff, but like they're so much of a run based offense and they're going to be deliberate when they have the ball. It doesn't make sense for them to get out of their lane unless they have to, or unless they find something that works. Maybe they spark the offense, jumper cables, whatever you want to call it. So the question then, Chris, is not like, is this sustainable? It's more of a challenge. And again, I'll, I'll, I'll volley back over to you here. How do they make this sustainable? It's not a yes or no question right now. The answer has to be yes, so they're going to win. And they're going to keep this going. So yes, it's sustainable, but how? Are there players? Are there aspects of the offense, the defense, the special teams? Are there stats that you note that whether they're not there now or they are there right now, that those are keys to extending this for the remaining seven games of the season? I, I hate to kind of single out one pro- I mean, one, like we've talked about the wide receivers and that's that's a problem. Just as a whole, I don't know what the answer is. And it doesn't seem like they're seemingly trying everyone that's on the roster. So it's not like there's somebody waiting in the wings that's going to just completely flip everything for them this season. Uh, they're trying freshmen. They're trying former walk-ons. They're, anybody and everybody that's there, they're trying. And right now they're not getting the answers they need. And that's a problem. And I just don't see how that's going to get better this year, which you really, I mean, maybe that's what the bye week is for, excuse me, open week is for. So you can help scheme these receivers open more. But at some point you just need them to win one-on-one battles. And right now it just doesn't seem to have the manpower to do that. Um, You're going to see for those listening, uh, if you um, are VIP subscriber to our site, I, no, I'm, I think I'm making this one free. It's going to be the report card for the first five games, like through PFF. And I believe it's the bottom five players on the team for the gra- their grading scale are all receivers. All of them. It's like the bottom five, six of the bottom seven, or seven of the bottom nine, something, something like that. It's just everyone ex- except for basically Hudson Clement is in the bottom eight of the team in PFF grade right now at receiver. And I think that I know people don't completely buy into PFF all the time, but that jives with what you see with your own eyes. And it jives with what you hear from the coaching staff too, because Neil Brown has not minced words about it. He's had some positive things to say about Garrett Green and Nico Marchio 
and kind of put a lot of the blame in the lack of passing game on the receivers. And I think that's where the biggest fix needs to be. Hmm. That's going to be tough. I yeah, will say this. There, I mean, what, what's the fix? Like there's no more personnel to try and, and these guys aren't going to get suddenly bigger and faster in the next week and a half. So it's going to come down to some strange scheming. Um, yeah. Which let's get into this. They have, they've succeeded with some additions, not, not in the roster, but in what they're doing. So this is part of probably a larger story, but they were very physical in the spring and in camp. That made their defensive line better by having to just battle that offensive line again and again and again. We've seen the defensive line is very good. They tackled a ton in the preseason. They've tackled pretty well, but also because they practiced so hard and they tackled so much, they're a pretty physical defensive team, maybe also offensive team. They, as we have chronicled, scrapped their like pattern matching zone coverage in the offseason and just said, we're going to play regular man or regular drop zone. Secondary is better after a change that they made within the season where they said, listen, we got to get closer to people. We got to put hands on people. We got to keep eyes on the quarterback. We got to bump routes. We got to jump balls. And all of a sudden they're better. So when they have isolated some sort of an issue, and this is recent history, I understand, but recent history is much more relevant to the present. They've improved it. Um, Did they improve it by shaking things up at receiver? We haven't seen that yet, but they're they're really trying to get EJ Horton going and definitely Rodney Gallagher going. And we saw Jaheim White by one reason or another jump up to number two running back. Those are three guys that just have juice on the offense and that can do something to help. Um, two at receiver, two. One's an outside guy, Horton. One's an inside guy, Gallagher. Can they lift those guys up where they become like actual contributors on a regular basis? Not like a couple of plays and one catch a game. Not like flip a hand off this guy because he can get around the corner and not much else. Can they make him parts of it? I think you cross your fingers there and you may be optimistic because, again, recent history says that when they've isolated something, it's gotten better. The trouble is that's a lot of defensive improvement there. We haven't really talked about a lot of offensive improvement, and I think if you if you cataloged your list of concerns on offense, would outnumber the concerns on defense, and the resolutions on defense would outnumber the resolutions on offense. And that's certainly a challenge because – it's admirable they have this style, this offensive style right now, but can they make it work? And to sustain it, yeah, they're going to have to actually break some plays. Their running backs, as we mentioned, don't really do that. That's fine. They're also running into a lot of walls. So if they can do something with those walls and pass over it around it or run away from them, they can make some plays. But they're going to have to find a way to like shock this offense and get players who can do that. And they just have a small number of players who can do that or who can do that but have not yet do that, and they might even be the same people too. That's going to be tricky. And then, frankly, some of their efficiency things are going to have to be good. They're going to have to just win the turnover battle. They're going to have to be very good on special teams again. They're going to have to use that defense as, a like like I said, a real leverage point by making field position one of their enemies, excuse me, one of their adversaries. Um, and they've done that so far. So what they're doing, they're going to have to really be good at that. Like They're going to have to be elite when it comes to efficiency, but so far, so good. Um the thing about this, Chris, is that their remaining schedule is very middle of the pack in the country. Um, I was looking at your ESPN FPI. They have West Virginia favored to win five of their final seven games, too. And people just didn't see that early in the season. Things have changed. The conference is, conference is what it is. It's probably not what people thought it was going to be, but favored in five of their final seven games. Friendly row games. Maybe the better teams are at home. The games they need to win at home, they're going to make a move or at home. Um, 
middle of the pack future strength and schedule, they they really could get in a run here. Again, I'm not saying they win the next two, but the next two were maybe their most winnable remaining games, especially coming off of an open week. Or a chance to be bowl eligible before November. Kind of crazy when you think about it, but they still have the work to do. And like you said, that the thing on offense that they're going to have to constantly monitor and manage is, is who's playing receiver. What are they getting out of that? Because the quarterback play might get better. Did you think that maybe they, they got a little bit of a rhythm pass catch in that second half? It wasn't prolific, but it did seem more, a little bit more threatening. Seemed to have like a drive or two in each of the last couple of games. Cause even with Marchio uh, against Texas tech, they had that one drive where, where uh, you know, they talked about it. Like Gilbert, I was like, Hey, we had put him aside and said, we're going to let you, let you let it fly. We need we need to pass the ball. We need to score here. And that drive looked like a completely different offense. And then uh, Green, yeah, started connected with a couple guys, got moving down the field. And I think I even tweeted at the time, I was like, wow, that looked like a completely different offense for like that one drive. Um, it obviously needs to expand beyond one drive. But yeah, you can, you can see the potential there. You can see the possibilities. Um, but it is going to require guys getting open because I think Green has the arm strength. I actually think he did a he's doing a nice job with his reads, progressing through his reads. Cause even on that touchdown run early in the game, he went through all of his reads. He went right down the progression, went to the first receiver, second receiver, third receiver, I think back to the first receiver, and then was like, All right, well, oh, there's an open lane. I'll run now. Um, credit to the offensive line for giving him that time and credit to him for you know, doing what he's supposed to do. That was the kind of play where he would just run and run too early and maybe not have had that lane. And Neil Brown would have lost his mind. And fans would have been like, hey, why are they so mad? You know, Green got a seven-yard run. And this is why. Because this is that that play was what it's supposed to look like, where you go through your progressions, then find the lane. Um, real quick, Mike, speaking of the offensive line, little stat. Here it is. Uh Average yards downfield where first contact is made with a running back. Okay. The yards gain before contact. Right. Okay. So last year, 2.18 yards downfield past the line of scrimmage before a defender made contact. Very, that's a very solid number for an entire season. Um, and that, that's, you know, credit to the offensive line and they're blocking the scheming by the coaching staff. This year, 2.1. Like, it's not that, like, the lanes or what, even with teams stacking the box, more so than I would say they did last year. It, it, like, they're still blocking down the field. First contact's not being made until over two yards down the thing. It's just, again, the difference is they're just not breaking tackles. Missed tackles forced way down. Um, CJ Donaldson, his yards per carry or yards after contact is down almost two yards. I believe it was like four point something to two point something. Um, so again, some of that's on the running backs that they got to get open. We're, we're talking a lot of skill, skill position player problems here for West Virginia. No magic wand there. Um, Mike Joseph can't, can't fix that right now. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, my final football question, cause I know you want to flip sports here in a minute, which is a good thing to do, but. We have mentioned plenty of times how the future non-conference schedule has to be structured. Let me ask you this, Chris. <clears throat> Somebody gives Rem Baker a uh, million dollars in the offseason and says, get out of this Penn State game. This team has a chance to be good. Um, 
you you buy out Penn State and you get uh, you stay in Pennsylvania and you 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 get Temple. You beat Temple, Duquesne, Pitt, and you're two and zero in the Big Twelve. You're five and zero right now, two and zero in the conference. Probably ranked. Is that best for the program right now, or is four and one, two and zero good enough considering where things have been? Think. I mean, obviously, five and zero looks better than four. Absolutely, one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was about to say, I was trying to make an argument, but I was like, nah. You know what? It just it just looks better, and it plays better. And if you're going into and you're already seeing it with four and one, if you're going into your open week and going out to see recruits and stuff, you are you're not hiding in the stands with a polo on and maybe covering up your your logo because you're one and four. Uh, you are proudly wearing your WVU bomber jacket, even if it's 80 degrees in Florida, and walking around with your shades on like you're a big deal and letting everyone know, I'm here. So wins are always good, Mike. That, that's my official stance. Yep, I think so. And I think like that's why it makes sense to do this like one Power 5 thing. It's really cool to open up against Power 5. You can still do that. Just don't play two of them. And... Man, this will, there's going to be so many conference games now that you got to get on TV or whatever. I think you're going to see early conference games too. And like, if you can get a couple of conference games, one conference game within your non-conference, I know coaches don't like that necessarily, but if you're interested in momentum and getting going, there's a chance to steal wins there or just get some uh, some attention on you. It's like having a Power Five in the non-conference. It's like playing Kansas last year in your second game of the season. Obviously, that was not great because what Kansas is doing offensively, but you can interrupt your non-conference by getting a good win in there. And if you're worried about pole position early, Hey, that helps. Finally, Chris, uh, let's flip to basketball here. Um, Jose Perez, if I have this right, twice tweeted that he was going nowhere and we would come back to the team. Enter the transfer portal. Came back and is now no longer part of the program. A like the the 6 p.m. news dump the day of a football game saying that he is no longer part of the program reportedly from other people that we can kind of cooperate. I'm not sure that we want to call it an academic issue because that sounds like eligibility or something scandalous, but it does sound like it was within the realm of academic responsibilities, we could say. But here we are so close to the regular season, just like a week and a day into preseason practice. And this is like one of those Jenga pieces that you just pulled out. And this is a little bit wobblier than it was before. Or was it? I don't know. Guy hasn't played has certainly had an eventful time on campus, some of it to help him, some of it to make sure that he was going to be part of this program, and he's not right now. We have no idea what he was going to be like. We don't know much of what he was like as a player. We just know he's not part of the program right now. Yeah, it's a tough situation, and I think I put it up earlier that you know, West Virginia dumped a ton of money and resources into this. Ton. Um, I think, you know, I was trying to make clear that it was a lot of money and i think i said millions and i edited that took out millions i don't know if it's that high i'm not gonna sit here and you know audit what was being done for him but nil money money spent to go recruit him the first time money spent to recruit him the second time when he was going to the portal uh his scholarship his stipend his more nil nil money on and on and on and on um it it wasn't a small you know uh, feet to 
get him and keep him at West Virginia. So this is not a situation where, as it was being portrayed, I believe um, Perez kind of hinted at it and Trilly Donovan, uh, for those who are on Twitter, wrote a story saying that he skipped study hall on Wednesday. And that's when it all started, I believe was what the quote was. It's like, I'm told very clearly that it did not start and end with a single missed study hall. And I can guarantee you West Virginia University did not part ways with a guy who could potentially start for this basketball team over a single missed study hall. No one believes um, that, right? Like no one. No, I, I mean, I don't know why anybody would believe that, but it's some gullible people out there. What did this do on the floor? Off the floor? I don't, I don't know. Cause I just, I've heard just various different things about him. Um, complicated would be a word. And maybe people like him. Maybe people don't want to deal with that clutter. You probably have to credit Josh Eiler for doing something difficult here, but I think that maybe he saw something down the road that could be an issue. Might have had no choice either. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll learn more. We have Josh Eiler interviews tomorrow. I don't expect him to say much of anything, but still credit for him because here's a guy who wants to get this job. His job becomes harder, presumably on the floor, without Jose Perez. Off the floor, don't know. Maybe he saw that and we don't know that. But on the floor, this is a projected starter. And not only that, Chris, it's like a flexible piece who was like the two slash three. I think a lot of people had him pegged into like the backcourt, but more of a wing spot. Um, kind of a grown-up kid that can play basketball and, and had some good performances in the summer and had been very good in practice, apparently. I should say workouts, things like that. But even last year when he was allowed to play, he was good. They like him. They liked him as a player. They certainly did a lot to get him on the floor. But again, you lose the player. That's troublesome. You lose that flexible piece, which is part of your identity on offense. You could be fast in the front court. Maybe you can now, but that just shortens everything up. X and O wise, what does this do to change? I don't want to say hinder, but to change what Josh Eiler aims to do, which is new and different on offense. I'm with you. If you look at this roster and who was going to be there, he's not in the top three players that were on the team. Like that goes to Creesa. Uh, Battle and Edwards. Problem is, one, as you noted, he's probably the most flexible and the guy who could do so much. You can really like a like a pivot point for your your lineup. Mm. Like you could move him here and then you could completely change how you the five guys you have on the court or how you're running or where you're running your offense through. Um, so that that hurts. Because again, he's not a bad player. Like this West Virginia team is talented. And so to say that he's not in the top three is not <clears throat> that big of an insult, but the other part of this is he might have ended up being in the top three because you're still waiting on word on the Raekwon battle waiver. And that's one of those things where if battles out, then it exacerbates the problem from the, the loss of arrest and makes it that much worse. If he's gone, if battle is also out for this season. So it's, it's something to watch uh, moving forward for sure, because there, there's, it's, it's, I don't believe it's possible to replace him at this point in the cycle. So it, it, the team is what it is right now. I don't know what this team is. Just like <laughs> here and Eiler talk about it. Like they had a couple of offensive players that were aggressive and Perez was one of them. Like Chris is more of like your, your like legitimate point guard is going to try to get everybody involved. That's one less person to be involved. I don't know. They want Chris to be like a lot of shots per game guy, but if he can get easy buckets and free throws and step in threes and get a lot of assists, they want to play fast, and like if you have more legs and more dribblers out there, you can do that, and Perez is one of them. 
Big guy, can probably be a versatile defender, rebound a little bit. Got to the free throw line a ton, got in the paint a ton. That's easy baskets, and that team is has been starved for easy baskets in the past, but not easy for Josh Tyler, and it, and it wasn't going to be, but now it's a little more complicated, and we'll hear tomorrow about his plan. Chris, really quickly, what do you have planned for uh, the audience here during this open week? I got some report card updates coming for, for grades and our own grades on these players and how they're doing so far. Going to take a look at some recruiting things. Got a lot of new offers going out. Folks going to visit players. So a lot of recruiting news coming up this week. And and then maybe we take a little few more minutes on basketball later this week as well. Yep. We'll press pause in the basket on the football season. Look at some things, how they're going. Maybe some explanations about what's happening. And then we'll get into some basketball because the stage is theirs for a couple of days. And certainly the spotlight is on the roster right now. Until then, I am Mike Casaza. I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then.